This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Bradley Drozdowski. It unfolded into a really, really large post, which I didn't expect. Um, and it, it, it was generated out of, yeah, out of frustration. Um, you know, I, 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 I see a lot of really, like, a, occasionally, a, like, a hot topic issue will come along in our field, and, and it'll take up Music Therapists Unite, um, and then just sort of, like, peter out, but um, unpopular opinion, I, I get pretty frustrated with just seeing a lot of, like, hey, I work with autistic kids, like, do you have any, do you have any song recommendations, do you have any, like, what songs do you use with older, older adults, um, and it's, 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 you know, I, I really was seeing so much pain in people that week and the week prior and was seeing seeing it seemed just in, in incongruence with with what i was seeing on our on our forums in our field specifically music therapists unite and even music therapists for social justice you know there was there was, there was less activity there than i thought there was gonna be um, and it just looked like it looked like it was incongruent. It looked like it looked like the field of music therapy had not been affected by this. Like everything was just okay. We're still just asking about what songs we use with teens, and you know, has anyone tried this instrument? Or hey, can you identify this instrument that I found in my basement for me? And um, I really wanted to see people talking about it. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Today is my interview with Bradley Drozdowski, who is currently pursuing his master's degree in existential humanistic psychotherapy, which is a mouthful and a brainful. But this conversation is a, um, a deep dive, but also just a surface level in a good way, surface level, just scratching the surface. That's what I'm trying to say. Scratching the surface of what we as music therapists can be doing in order to affect systematic change in regard to race within our profession and why it is so important that we are also taking action steps outside of the therapy field. So I personally think that Brad did a great job in this conversation, um, being honest and vulnerable. And he talks about this Facebook post he had put out on Music Therapists Unite. We dive into that. And then he has taken the time to distill down all the comments and conversation that were on that post into actionable and feasible items that we as music therapists can look at and have some guidance for what we can be doing. Um, Our profession is very polarizing in so many ways and so a lot of the steps he has here do have opposites, do have opposing viewpoints, neither is right, neither is wrong, Uh, but they're they're good starting places. Um, And like I said in this episode, 
if you want to have a conversation and you, you know you just don't want to record it that's that's fine feel free to reach out I'm game to to talk about this kind of stuff um, because this work starts with ourselves we talked about that a lot with Brittany's episode um, and this episode dives more into what can we then do what can we then achieve achieve isn't the right word but what action steps can we have as a profession and as individuals so I hope you enjoy this conversation. As always, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes to help the podcast be more visible to individuals. Um, Follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. Join our group on Facebook so that you can uh, be part of some polls, have some input about the episodes, and also have a conversation. Feel free to use that space to dive in more. Use it as a safe location to say something controversial or, you know, uh, expound on what we've talked about here maybe something you don't understand or something you do work together that's that's what we're doing here um, yeah so without further ado let's get into this episode with Brad Welcome to the podcast, Bradley. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm awake on this nice, I always say, cloudy day. It's my favorite day for podcasting because I'm inside uh, and I'm not missing it's, anything. Yeah. It's cloudy here, too. It's been sort of breezy, cool in Chicago. It's mm-hmm. nice. Well, isn't Chicago the windy city? They do say that. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't get too. It's yeah. I don't know. It's not always too windy. I don't know why they say that. I guess it's the lake wind. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, my name is Brad Drostowski. I'm a board certified music therapist. Um, I work in Chicago, but I'm originally from Michigan. So I did my bachelor's in uh, at Eastern Michigan University. And I came out here for my internship at Institute for Therapy Through the Arts, which is where I work now. And oh, I just got into grad school. Congratulations. Are you, I guess now you're probably doing most of it online, but was it originally online or was it like a hybrid grad? Yeah, I got into, and it's a podcast, so no one will ever see, but I'm wearing, I, I was <laughs> like, I bought, I bought a sweatshirt. Um, I never got it. I didn't get into like swag or anything in my bachelor's but this time around I was like I'm gonna go all into this and so the first thing I did was buy a sweatshirt so I, I got into the Slippery Rock program um, which is hosted the Slippery Rock of Pennsylvania so it's in it's in Philly um, and that's Dr. Hadley's program it's always been um, a, like a, a long distance like a low low residency program mm-hmm. um, and I didn't actually realized until recently she she lives in Alabama so, so it's it's like completely um, online so wow. not even just because of the COVID and all it's been. well in a way that's good because that means they've already figured out how to do it virtually where everyone right now is floundering still <laughs> yeah and there's got to be a silver lining there that it's gotten it's just gotten better because all like like zoom has like mm. like all these platforms have made such huge strides the last couple of months to try to just keep up with like the server base and the features and everything so I feel like now is a great time to do an online grad program yeah yeah good observation I hadn't thought of it that way but you're so right you're so right so can you tell us how you originally got into music therapy yeah of course so um 
I I took a psych class in high school. Yeah, I, I didn't do I didn't do classical music when I was a kid, um, but I got real into like the metal scene and, and emo and, and all that kind of stuff um, with like post hardcore mid two thousands music and was doing that for a little while and was thinking like, well, I don't know what I want to go. Like, I don't feel like I could go to school for music. Um, it was thinking about psychology, so I took a psychology class. And the teacher, so the, our final project was to do, like we'd partner up with someone and we'd do like a class-long lecture. That was our final project. Mm. Um, and you know, there was a list of topics. You didn't get to just choose a topic. So the list of topics, this teacher put music therapy on it, which was really cool. Kudos I think that's really them. neat because I'm, I'm, I'm still surprised by that. I think back, I'm like, oh my God, like, like, that's, that's huge that this teacher knew about it and put it on a list of topics, a short list of topics. So that was um, I was like, oh, music, I love music. I've been using music for myself, you know. Um, and so I, I presented that and then sort of just got really interested in the topic. And I grew up like 15 minutes from Eastern Michigan University. So they have a good program. And I found that out and went and applied to that school in that program and its history from there. So um, I never had like a major change. I didn't do a master's equivalency. I didn't do a, like it wasn't second bachelor's. It was always it was music therapy from from day one of college. There you go. Yeah. But no swag. <laughs> but no swag. Yeah, no. We, I don't know. EMU is a pretty small, like, it, I don't know. It's not the smallest university. It's like, but it's, it's right next door to, you know, University of Michigan, which is a huge like football team and, and, and mm-hmm. just a huge school. So you know, getting like sort of overshadowed by all the, the swag and hype around University of Michigan. It's easy to just say, well, like, I don't know, well, like, I don't know, EMU, what is that? Um, but I always had a lot of pride in our program. And, and actually, um, you know, I think now being an alum, I, I, I have a lot of like, I don't know, just I, I look back at EMU really fondly, um, though I never had a sweatshirt. <laughs> well, but it's good. <laughs> it's good to look back fondly. I think... Um because our scope of practice is so broad there's so many of us who look back and it's like I didn't learn this and we never covered this and we didn't go in depth enough for this and you know that you can't do it all so it's it's nice to hear someone say like you know they did a good job and I'm glad and I'm glad I went there yeah I'm really glad I went there good awesome so for anyone listening who's looking for a college check out EMU yeah EMU is great I don't know what they're doing with COVID right now. But. Oh, true. What are, what are any of us doing with COVID right yeah. now? It's funny because I, so I did a, um, a recording day, like the weekend that things started getting crazy in the United States. And, I, you know, the people I was talking mm-hmm. to then, it was like, oh, yeah, how are you doing? How are you coping? And now it's like, we're still talking about it. Like subliminally, it's coming through in the conversations. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's, it's strange because I went to like, in, you know, in Illinois, we had our lockdown um, in March and, and just like a week before everything got really serious, mm-hmm. we, we were all at the Great Lakes Regional Conference. Yeah, that's right. In person. And it was, I look back at that now, like during it was like, we were vaguely aware there was this like, this thing that was going to happen. It was mm-hmm. like, is it going to happen? And, and who knows? And we we're like, we're just going to have the conference anyway. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my, how did we do, how did we do that? How did we, how did we justify doing that yeah knowing what was going to happen a week later totally well i i had just bought my conference registration for new england um on the 12th 
and then the conference was canceled on the 13th in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, so in I, March. Yeah, yeah, I called back and yeah. I was like, hey, I just, you know, booked a room and blah, blah, blah. I'd like to cancel. <laughs> Didn't even go yeah. on my credit card because it hadn't been 24 hours. I also, um, I mentioned in our email uh, that I'm I'm doing, I'm in a part of a cohort for existential humanistic therapy, mm-hmm. which is um, done out in uh, sort of the Bay Area, San Francisco, Berkeley area. Um, and I was supposed to be there in May for this seven-day retreat Um, an experiential training uh and it got moved to october and then it got moved virtual still in october so i and it was going to be at this nice resort it was going to be but unfortunately like airlines were like required to you know give flights back and and stuff like that and and it was nice to get get a little little bit of money back from that yeah yeah but what a a nice thing to look forward to that kind of stinks but that's what we're all doing. This year has been crazy, and we're gonna get into some of the craziness. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. You, yeah, and all our emails. You, this whole time, you're like, I'm ready. So I'm gonna. <laughs> you posted on Music Therapist Unite, and I'm gonna read the post real quick so we can get into yeah. the media meat of this. And you wrote, "This is Music Therapist Unite. Why are we not talking more about fighting systematic racism in our field and in our world? I know we trade song ideas and research here, but I want to talk about how our largely white field is going to fight white supremacy. White music therapists do more. I'm tired, I'm fragile, and I want to talk to you. Come on. Uh, and hopefully yeah, I got so some of the inflection. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it, it, it unfolded into a really, really large post, which I didn't expect. Um, and it, it, it was generated out of, yeah, out of frustration. Um, I, you know, I... I, I, I see a lot of really, like, a, occasionally, a, like, a hot topic issue will come along in our field, and, and it'll take up Music Therapists Unite, um, and then just sort of, like, peter out, but mm-hmm. um, unpopular opinion, I, I get pretty frustrated with just seeing a lot of, like, hey, I work with autistic kids, like, do you have any, do you have any song recommendations, do you have any, like, what songs do you use with older, older adults, um, and it's, 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 you know, I, I really was seeing, so much pain in people that week and the week prior and was seeing seeing it seeing just in incongruence with with what i was seeing on our on our forums in our field specifically music therapists unite and even music therapists for social justice you know there was there was, there was less activity there than i thought there was gonna be um and it just looked like it looked like it was incongruent. It looked like it looked like the field of music therapy had not been affected by this. Like everything was just okay. We're still just asking about what songs we use with teens, and you know, has anyone tried this instrument? Or hey, can you identify this instrument that I found in my basement for me? And um, I really wanted to see people talking about it. And I was I was reading White Fragility, um, and I was you know. You know, I'd gone to a protest, and I had been so really getting in, in, involved in, in my community here in, in sort of the Edge, Edgewater Rogers Park area of Chicago. Um, and I'm fortunate; I've, I've got some coworkers that that really sort of um, service great models in that, and, mm. and really show me. Um, and not just music therapists, because I work with art therapists, dance movement therapists, drama therapists too, and. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the, the the post came from a place of, of really wanting to hear more about how this is affecting 
um, specifically white music therapists, because that's the bulk of it. And that's a lot of what I see on Music Therapists Unite is white music therapists just sort of shooting shit. Um, and, but it wasn't, it's not it, that week. And still now it's not time to just shoot the shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also was, was sort of realizing that I, you know, I am, I'm a white music therapist and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, put that on the line and have, a, have like, like you mentioned the emails, like, I'm just like, there's not really a lot to prepare for. If there's something hidden to me, um, or if there's something about myself that, that I can, I can learn more about how to be better. And I want to just put myself on the line. I want to sort of just have, have myself there to reflect on and for others, others to see. And, and as a white music therapist, I think that that's really important. It's, it's, it's sort of the other side of that. Well, let's just stop and listen and educate. It's also really time to be very critical of ourselves and, and sit with, um, you know, I have a mentor who talks a lot about cultural humility as opposed to, to that, that, that buzzword of competence, cultural competence, something that you can achieve, something that you can gain, um, as opposed to cultural humility, which is a practice, something that, so that, something that you would use for self-reflection and self-reflection that you would then use um, to work with community and work, work on community, work for community. Yeah. You, um, you framed that in such a beautiful way because uh, um, I guess there's two thoughts going through my head. The first is that what I saw on the post, your post was a lot of people saying, you know, it's it's not our time to talk. We don't feel comfortable. Um, this isn't our place. But you framed it in a way that's how are we as white music therapists being affected? Um, and it's not necessarily putting, in my mind, that wasn't putting the the conversation on us, putting the spotlight on us, but it was like, let's support each other um, so we can better support our colleagues who are people of color, our clients who are people of color and the the general public as a whole, uh, because we're affected by this, yeah. right? We're being called to, to look at ourselves, to do better. Um, that's not always easy. And sometimes you do need someone to talk to about it. And um, sometimes our field in general as a whole needs to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, there are almost like like you said spotlights. There's almost different spotlights, and there's a certain spotlight on the white music therapist, on the white therapist that can't be evaded. We can't evade our whiteness, and we can't we can't sort of get out of the scope of, of this spotlight that shines down on us and asks us, "What are you going to do, mm. and how are you going to do it?" And there's and that's not some singular thing at the end of, at the end of the day. It's it's a lot of different things, and I learned that from that post. A lot of it, I felt like I had anticipated or once I started to see that there was it was generating a lot of um, discussion I, I was I, I sort of had it in my head that I knew that I was going to get a lot of differing ideas mm. and it boiled down to if, if, if I could split it into two it was it, it was um, you know feedback from listeners and it was feedback from more more activist sort of people and and it was this like well what what are we what are we going to do and, and how are we going to shut up and listen and how those two things and, and the, a whole like list of things underneath those. Cause there was, I ended up, I ended up boiling it down to, I think like, I don't know how many, but I got to a point where I realized that I don't, I want to, I want to owe responsibility to this post because I put this here. Mm. Um, but I, but I don't want it to be about me, but also accepting responsibility that it, that it that it is it is about me um and and i think that the evade word comes again i don't want to evade my post but i want to i want to do right by the music therapy community and by black communities and and by 
um, the world at large to, to owe responsibility to my post and say, well, what, what does it mean and what does it do? So at the end of it, I, I had this longer comment where I said, here's what I did. I sort of like coded themes because it got like a hundred comments and it, it was, it was this like this big thing that it, that it took, it took me quite a while that I went through and I, and I, and I spent a lot of time with everyone's comment and everyone's unique point of view. And I sort of just coded themes and, and figured out like, what is, what are the, what are the main things going on here and how are they connected and how are they different? And I put that there and I said, this is what this, this post generated this discussion from this discussion. We have, these main ideas and these main areas of action and um, responsibility and um, just ideas about the whole thing. And, and it was then of saying, you know, I, I, this is my last comment. I'm, I am sort of sealing my signature on this post, but here's what, here's what this generated. And, and I know I'm happy to work with people to, to do some of this work, um, but here it is for you. The point was to generate a discussion, not just for me, for everybody. It was supposed to be there for everyone to see. Mm. And so it was important for me to have people see what that, what the sort of nugget of that was. Yeah. Good for you taking the time to do that because you've treated this as like a, a research project in a way. It sort um, of felt that way. Yeah. yeah. When it got to a certain size, it felt like it, there was enough content there that it did sort of become a tiny little not experiment, but yeah, research. Yeah. And, and distilling it down for us. Um, because you know, I don't, like you said, you took responsibility for it. It's no, no guarantee that someone else would have gone through and dug out those, those themes. So can you share any of those, those themes? So those, those action items for people listening. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Let me, let me grab my computer. Do your thing. My, other, my work computer. Yeah. But for the listeners who, you know, maybe didn't see this post or yeah. Yeah. So they can they can hear it and and think about how they will apply that to themselves in their practice. Yeah, and they were uh, yeah I think they're uh, and I think yeah you because know, then we'll end up I think talking about some of them because there is there is clear like a clear channel for action for music therapists and in a lot of different ways and it, it does mean listening and, and educating yourself and self reflection and it does mean calling senators and aldermen and mayors and, and your representatives and it does mean you know starting a fundraiser or joining this white accountability group but also not asking your black friend about how do i do this but also mm. it's the whole thing and it's the way we can all do um to a certain degree so much of that and we're all we all do it together yeah, so so the um, I, I sort of condensed to seven from yeah I condensed it down to seven primary concerns um, from twenty two sort of themes that I coded and and I'll, I'll just read them here and some of them are longer so I might just sort of you know, leave this and that out but um, number one being that there is too much in the way of performative displays of allied support on social media without a tangible tangible actionable step toward change. Um, this was expressed by many as a concern. The conversation is actionless and self-serving, which which I was intensely aware of in, with this post because it, it was doing that. It, you know, in some to some degree, it, it had, um, you know, it, it had my intention of generating discussion. But at the same time, I can't ignore that it also, in some ways, was performative. Mm-hmm. Maybe it can't. Maybe maybe something like that can't be both can't not be both at the same time. Um, two, that there's a growing interest from white music therapists in gatherings 
uh, in gathering and developing resources, education, and support groups on white fragility, white accountability, and quote unquote, how to be an ally, which which had, had an opposing side too. It was this like, how do we, it was white white music therapists can come together and talk about, you know, what how can we do the work without having to burdening black music therapists on training us or teaching us, educating us because they have their own thing that they're doing. Whereas on the other side, it was like, well, what is that going to do? Mm-hmm. We need to be we need to be listening to black voices, not only listening to, but lifting um, and also working with what does it do to separate those groups out? So it's and it's easy to see it's it makes sense to see both of those viewpoints. Mm-hmm. It makes it makes perfect sense, at least to me, to see that, yeah, both of those things are important. And is there something to do with the sort of boldness of it? Yeah. Number, yeah. Number three being. Um, white music therapists need to balance one standing back to listen and to lift um, uh, black voices in our field um, and two not leaning on the overwhelmed minority of black music therapists for support and guidance of needing to quote unquote figure it out ourselves this includes differing thoughts and opinions on acting listening and doing both Number four, being an emphasis from many on working to avoid engaging in white saviorism. This includes taking caution with art and music making as a public display of support for black therapists, black and indigenous people people of color. Um, Five is systemic racism in the field of music therapy starts in our university programs, which are founded on the hegemony of Western classical music traditions. provides little support in the way of scholarships and financial aid for marginalized groups and bachelor's, master's, and internship education opportunities, um, and which struggles to integrate cultural education and diversity into coursework, research, and curricula. Um, That one's a longer one, but I'll finish it out. This also generated some discussion regarding master's level entry in music therapy and its relationship with the lack of diversity in the field. Mm. Because that was also, I think, when this, when the, when the MLE thing was was going down nationwide, mm-hmm. um, one of the major points was that, that it, it bars diversity. Um, and i I really want to I really want to see that research be done. I really want to know what the what the information is around that. And I think it takes a lot more than just looking at, at, at therapy training programs and music therapy and creative arts therapy programs. It means looking at but that whole that whole item as as a complete thing looks at figuring out how do we how do we make changes for our field in um, um, among an entire system because we're not the only we're not the only university program and universities are this huge industry mm. this huge thing and and what change we make how can that affect how universities function in the first place on the ground, but, but how does, how does the system of university of higher education impact what we're able to do in, in, in our training as music therapists? Yeah. Six being music therapists are struggling to keep practices and businesses open during the pandemic, which affects their ability to engage meaningfully and frequently in social justice, activism, and dialogue about systemic racism in our field. Yeah. So this, this sort of like, well, we're, we're all going through hard times right now. Like when you cake on police brutality and racial injustice, which has been around for a very long time, but when you cake on this sudden, sudden wakefulness to it, mm-hmm. 
onto a global pandemic in the Trump presidency. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that in there too. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, you're 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 left with a lot of competing things, and uh, you know, I, I guess I don't I don't hate to say it, but that's it's priorities, you yeah. know, for the for the music therapist, and we're all we all have a different way of juggling those priorities and a different way of experiencing them. Yeah. And the last one is um, an expressed need to build comfortability with addressing the subject of systemic racism and injustice with music therapy clients and engaging the voices of those um, whom music therapists serve in the discussion on the topic of race in music therapy, which, which I think is, is really important. Um, I call, I call it a sort of gimmicky thing because I think it, you know, just ends up being a big buzzword, but you know, we, we do say it has to come back to our clients. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of bad faith use of that expression because a lot of the time, some of the things that we do don't come back to our clients or, or just miss the mark in, in, in representing our clients or standing for our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this is certainly true. We really do need to show up right now for just in the same way that we need to show up for our clients for their concerns and anxieties about COVID. We have to be there. We have to be there for this too. And, and my, my sort of frame of thought around the race piece and and work with our clients is we're looking at a at a at an opportunity um, where we can really change what the role of the therapist is in the society hmm. because the the role of the therapist for so long is so is so stuck in the treatment room um, and and you know is 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 closed to and it has it. This isn't this isn't like true and sure fact all the time. But a lot, a lot of a lot of therapists are there for their clients. The individual and that relationship is so important. But when when you add all of these different intersecting issues that are systemic into your work with your client, you're really you're really in bad faith when you're when you're when you're choosing just to just to heal through that relationship with that client and not bring into account all of these other things that are influencing it. So I, it really, for me, feels like the role of the therapist needs to include more social interest. Hmm. How can you, how can you work with your client to like, there's no amount of COBA head and CBT skills and externalization and, and values that can prepare your young teenage black client for the more likely and inevitable encounter with officer there's no amount of cbt skill that can that can prepare you for that especially if you're a white therapist you just did that you oh i i can't i can't sort of like even search it myself and find a conclusion for what that what that can be like and um so it it means it means doing social social justice work it means doing activist work it means showing up outside of our work and integrating that into our work to show up to, to lift communities and fight for systemic change because it really is like, I, I can't think of a, of a harder slap to the face to our clients to, to do right by them in the treatment room, but not do right by them in our community, not do right by them in our world. Yeah. Maybe that's a tall glass of water, but that's, that I think is, is an opportunity that we have as a field and as, as people in this society to really change the role of the therapist. And I say therapist because that's that's every therapist. That's art therapists, it's music therapists, social workers, it's psychologists and and the like. Yeah. 
Oh gosh, there's so many branches. I want to say first of all that those are all great themes and action items and thank you again for doing that um, and for sharing it because for the listeners those are great jumping off points even if you just pick one to work on for a week or a month Um, but I want to ask you work with other creative arts therapists too and you said that a lot of them have kind of like shown you some ways that you can do this activism in your Uh outside the therapy room life so have you noticed or do you know if other helping professions are having this conversation too or if they're having it more than us? Um, um, yeah, I, I think I can speak more on the account of art therapists um, than I can on dance movement therapists or drama therapists. My partner is at Adler University right now. Um, she's finishing her master's in um art therapy and counseling. So I get some perspective there. And, and, I, and I think I've just, I, I think I've been exposed more to the field of art therapy in the way that I've been exposed to the field of music therapy. And they are, uh, they're whiter than us. If you can, like, if you can believe it. Like actually <laughs> right? statistically. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And and, you know, they had this whole, art therapists had this whole thing go down with um, endorsement from uh, Karen Pence. Um, and, right, Karen, Mike Pence's wife, I think it's Karen. Um, and, she, and she was, it's like, she somehow found art therapy and became this huge advocate. And it's another, like, it's a, well, not another, but it's this, it's this, like, white female Republican, like enormous figure, like like the, the wife of the, the Republican vice president to mm. the dictator president, um, <laughs> you know, saying art therapy is great and I'm an art therapist. And I think that was a that was a turning point for art therapists to say, well, like, let's look at ourselves and say, like, what are we what are we doing? And mm. they, uh, you know, the two big schools in Chicago are Adler University and SAIC, and there are a couple of faculty at, at um, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, SAIC, um, who have who got really into critical pedagogy and really, really were, 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 are, are focused on looking at the field critically. Mm. Um, and that is something that I'd love to see more in music therapy, and it is there. We do have, we do have that, that critical look. Um, and they've had, they, they have conferences. Um, they had, they, they, I think they were going back and forth um, for a couple of years between Chicago and New York City doing these critical pedagogy um, conferences. And so, yeah, why, art therapy, yeah, art therapy is, is sort of faced with a lot of the same challenges that we are because it's, it's a lot of women and it's a lot of, it's a lot of white women. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack with that um, when it sort of defines the demographic of a field in a similar way that it does music therapy. Yeah. What a great time to start your master's. <laughs> I know. And I actually, yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm going to grad school because of all of this, with, because of 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I made my three-year mark um, as a music therapist, and that's usually what they say. I'm going to go to grad school, but worked in the field for about three years, mm-hmm. figure it out. <laughs> and, um, and I did that, but I was still thinking about like next fall or like in a couple of years. And I was actually sort of floating the idea of a side D because um, I'm, I'm really interested in that, but, but the, the work I want to do, I think really is going to thrive 
through this program. Um, as an existentialist, you know, I, I, I bear sort of a strange cross in, in trying to like, trying to integrate culture and, and the arts into this like very Eurocentric Western European sort of thing. But, but I, I love existentialism and I can't, I, I can't evade that either. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, existentialists, you know, for, for their taking it, taking everything with a grain of zeitgeist salt, um, you know, they, they really value the historical perspective, really value standing up for the oppressed and, and standing with the underdog in every situation. Um, and that's, there's a lot to unpack there, but, but I think that, I think that social justice work and existentialism, social justice work and philosophy, critical humanism, you know, even just the, that, that phrase itself, um, as a testament to, you know, the activism work and, and the critical nature of it, but also the very theoretical idea-based um, function of philosophy is going to be really useful for me. So with, with you know, the Trump presidency um, coming to the end of its first term and hopefully last term, in my opinion, um, and with COVID and, 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 you know, the protests and everything, I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing in a way a lot of a lot of parallel to, you know, you know, World War II time, you know, or like between, you know, this betwixt time between between wars, and we may well be between wars right now, um, and this may be the, the strange sort of systemic social soup that stirs in a nation to create another war, another another really really difficult thing in our existence and, and that calls for work and it calls for activism. It calls for both putting down your instrument to go raise a fist on the street and picking it back up and making art about it. You know, it, it calls for a lot. And I think that we are in a time where again, we have an opportunity to generate really great ideas and really great music and really great art but not for nothing and not without doing the other thing too. Um, so I, you know, I was teetering this idea of like, well, maybe next fall, maybe in a couple of years, maybe this other thing, but this whole thing. And, and, and I, yeah, and I started the search and I, and I decided to commit to it. And I was looking at a number of schools, mostly East coast schools and mostly music therapy programs at the master's level that have a counseling um, license, sort of the dual component to it. And, and I, and I remember Facebook messaging Dr. Hadley one day and said, Hey, I'm interested in your program. You know, maybe we could set up some time. And she got back to me like 10 minutes later and, and said, she's just, she just works, she works, works, works. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, and she, she loves her students. And, and I think she's really excited to have, um, this new cohort and, and have the work to do during these hard times and. I'm completely just projecting that she, she didn't say that, but, but she, you know, she's, she got back to me on Facebook and then said, yeah, I've got some time today. And then we ended up setting up like a time on zoom to talk. We talked for like two, two and a half hours yeah. and it just felt really right. Um, I went to EMU and, and Dr. Tara Merrill is there and, and they're very close friends. And, um, so it felt very familial to me. It felt, felt really familiar, but also knowing that, that Dr. Hadley, at least in my head, in our field really stands for social justice, really represents that work. 
um, it felt like it ended up feeling like it was, you know, I was looking at a lot of schools and I was talking with a lot of people, but eventually it just ended up being a no-brainer of saying, well, this is the work that I want to do. I'm really moved by everything that's going on right now. And I feel a call to action. Propelling myself into grad school sounds like an amazing, amazing step of sort of sealing my fate into this work. Because it is, I'll say, it is easy as a white, as a white person, as a white music therapist, as a privileged sort of bourgeoisie kid, grew up in suburban Detroit area, but then, you know, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs and I grew up in a white neighborhood. Um, it's very easy to let this pass. It's mm. really, really comfortable letting it pass and going back to playing Animal Crossing and feeling like that's the relief from COVID or, or you know, getting sucked into too much theoretical reading without other activists reading and critical reading. Um, and, and, you know, like going back to what, what Music Therapists Unite is by, by default and being okay with that. Um, it's easy to do that, sort of to take a step. And I, I'm so excited now, like I'm wearing my sweatshirt, I'm so ready to go. I say that now, it's gonna be hell on earth because I'm gonna do full-time work and full-time school at the same time, I'm at least gonna try it the first semester. Um, I realize that doing this is a very, is a very calculated decision that I've made to force myself to, to, to continue to work, to stay awake, um, to all of it. And, and hopefully that, hopefully that was a good move. If I, if that's what I get out of it is still, is just continuing to have the pressure on me to, to work in this way, then it's worth it. Yeah. I think you said that really well. It's, um, it's easy. It's easy to slip back into mm -hmm. our routine. And there's, you know, that quote about, learning about this is privilege that is our privilege uh, that we have to take the time to learn about it we haven't lived it uh, and I had this thought when you were going through your seven items uh, and I've also read white fragility so every time you've said that to me it has made sense and um, I haven't found it uh, uh, offensive I haven't been put on the defensive by hearing that phrase but for people who haven't read that book and might be that might have been um, kind of a red flag for them in their ears. Can you can you maybe distill that down a little bit? What it meant to yeah. you? It's funny um, as a as a sort of anecdote before I answer the question. I I was I was I maybe this was a couple months now ago, but I was really in the book and I was wanting to get the information to people mm. and I was I was thinking what if I just did like a Facebook live video and just read excerpts from it just to get people because the books are hard it's a hard book to get right now it's you know it's in hard copy it's sold out um, and you know people might not be able to afford it right now I was thinking like what if I just did and I had a coworker who was like that's, a, that's an awesome idea that's cool like I'll log on for that and I thought I don't know enough about copyright law to, to do that <laughs> without you know, yeah. to, to just do that. And um, so I, I, I went on her website and I reached out to her and she, she got back to me. <laughs> so wow. I had correspondence with Robin D'Angelo and, and, and I said, look, I really value your work and I just want to sort of get this out, but I, I don't know enough about the copyright. So I'm asking you, is this an appropriate thing to do? And she and her lawyer got back and said, no, please don't do this. We we really value that you want to do this. This is great, but uh, the audio rights mm. to any to any reading of it is tied up in 
in the in the contracts with the audiobook companies that we we are assigned to. Yeah. And I said that makes complete sense, and and then I said you know like maybe I floated the idea too, and they never got back because she's super busy, right? And I like I don't know who am I? Um, but I was really honored that she she got back to me. But I said you know I was I was talking with someone else the other day, and and was was thinking like it'd be really great if you would do a workshop with our field hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, like at, at national conference or at least regionally in some pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question about, about white fragility, it's, it's strange because I think understanding it provides an, uh, like a, like a meta defense. It provides like a secondary defense. Once you feel like you understand what white fragility is and what that means and, and how it can be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you almost feel like, well, yeah, like I understand white fragility. So, <laughs> like so I can, I can handle it. It's like a suit of armor is like, now I can handle these uncomfortable moments. That's like, if you're handling the uncomfortable moment by not feeling uncomfortable in it, you're sort of doing, you're using it ineffectively. Mm. It's just supposed to continue to, <laughs> it's so white for white fragility is this, um, for me has a lot to do also with that idea of cultural humility of being able to reflect on self and say, say, what, what about my situation has contributed to, to this, to, to me saying, and, and I think a lot of the time, like, I think a microaggression is a really good example of this, or like, um, you know, when you put your foot in your mouth, which, um, I'm sure I do all the time, but you know, that it's almost mindfulness. It's almost phenomenology. It's almost like, um, wakefulness of just saying like, okay, I just put my foot in my mouth. What is, what does the ego want right now? Mm. And what do I want right now? And what does the person involved in this one right now? The ego's the ego just wants to be loved, right? The ego just wants to be assured and know that people are going to say, okay, all right, I, I see, I see you. It's okay. It's all right. And that is always going to come up when we might progress, especially for the white person. It's always going to come up when we say, you know, when we say ableist things or we say racist things or we say, and we don't, I, conscious or subconscious or whatever it is when the content comes out because we all we all are not perfect we all have biases that we're not we are either aware of quasi aware of or not aware of and stuff's just gonna come out and for us to say well the ego wants to say well no 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 i didn't i come on i didn't mean that i didn't i didn't mean like you know like we're good right to say like no like i i i feel like i like not i I feel wrong. I feel like I did it wrong there. And it's on, it's on me not to, not to apologize or, or, you know, express my, my, my being broken. Because again, that's the ego. It's a very sneaky thing. It's a sneaky mm. thing to say, okay, oh, I'm, oh man. Yeah. Oh, I, I did this wrong. And, um, and to, to an extent that's really useful. I think, um, one of my, one of, um, one of the educators at, at EMU, who was a mentor to me, um, Debbie Gombert, um, did a presentation at a GLR one time and talked about microaggressions and talked about how, um, you know, the, the person who microaggresses doubles down on it when they, they start talking about, well, well, oh man, like, oh, that's, oh, I was so stupid to do that. Like, that was really wrong of me because it puts the person who's just it places the scope on back onto you. It really places it, it, it. You're keeping the ball in your court. It forces that person who has just been 
microaggressed against to then console you mm-hmm. you know to say like no it's okay this happens all the time right this is like not a big like it's okay i know you didn't mean it but again it's it's just defense of the ego but to really sit with it that's where that's where culture humility and white fragility are to really sit with it and, and look at yourself critically and say all right well what am i going to do next time or how am i going to learn more about this how am i going to figure out what my bias is because the most that we can do the most that we can do as people in our existence is to try to become aware of ourselves. Mm. There's so much hidden to ourselves. There's so much in the way of a bias or a misconception or, um, you know, some predetermined facticity, something about ourselves that, that, you know, self-reflection can do so much. And then when we pair it with action, we can actually do some good in the world. We can actually work for community actually work for other but it's it has to start with self and so white fragility is taking it's not saying the white race is fragile and crumbling it's not saying you know like you are not strong to feel fragile to feel like you have room for growth to feel like you have something hidden to yourself that you can come to learn better and that that you can use that to grow with others that's strength. Fragility becomes strength. Humility becomes strength because we need those things. Mm. So, so often we are on the, on, on the defense and on the wanting to, to preserve self, but we're not stuck the way we are. And we're not, we, we don't, we don't achieve a perfection. Yeah. Um, we don't arrive there. We don't, you know, we're, we're constantly having to, to work through experiencing our world and culture and, and the other, and then reflecting on it for ourselves. And for me, that's what white fragility is, because I'm a white person, and I'm fragile, <laughs> because I exist in a world where I didn't earn everything that was afforded to me. And in many cases, I did not have to fight for those things. In almost every case. And, and me going to grad school, in another way, very personally, signifies that, because it was very easy for me to go to, to this huge high school and have a, have a great teacher who in psychology who knew about music therapy and oh, I picked the right program. It was just 15 minutes away. Oh, I did so well in it. I had talent. I, was, I didn't really have to think too hard. I was just sort of going through it. I, you know, and then you get to the end and the program director loved you and, and they, they mentioned this great internship and you just go and you apply to it. It's the only one you apply to. It's a really good internship and you get it and you do a great job and then you just get the job. It's this like wonderful little story that I have, but I, I was not always, I don't, I don't, I either don't want or I can't, you know, look at myself as the author of that story because it was it's so easy to walk through and the white suburban hero boy gets to just sort of stumble through it and make it to the other side with even more. So now I'm placed in a position of, and that was why I wanted to really look at schools and why I wanted to look at schools right now, because I want to go and and do work that's going to challenge me. I'm going to be challenged at this program. Are you ready for that? As the white cis male, you know, neurotypical, Mm. you know, going into it. Yeah, well, no, no, I'm not. And that's the point. The point is to to, to be at a place of, of, 
of ready, ready for growth, conscious or other, Hmm. but also not ready. Yeah. And I'm absolutely not ready, but it's going to be great. And that, (laughs) and it's going to force me into a lot of, a lot of positions of feeling fragile and feeling humble and humiliated. I think that ties really well into you saying we should have a workshop uh, at one of our conferences or at a regional conference. And I was just listening to one of the instrumental podcast episodes recently, and they were talking about how our conferences are generally music therapists talking to music therapists about music therapy and how many of us go to different conferences and engage in different conversations. Uh, And that would be a great opportunity for us all as a collective to engage in a conversation that's not just about us and what we do and that will help our profession as a collective. Yeah, because I think when we when we when we just close ourselves off to, you know, this being this closed ecosystem of music therapists, training music therapists, and mm-hmm. you don't get too far with that. Yeah. You know, we need we or at least it shuts doors to how much we can learn from community. And learning from community is now also learning from culture, and it always has been. Mm -hmm. The cultural experience for us, especially when we are a closed-off profession and a defensive one, we're defensive. Mm -hmm. Very much so are we a defensive field. And it's evident first in the fact of every time someone asks us, what is music therapy? It's defense. We go into defense mode unless we've been in it for so long. But even then, you hear people who've been in the field for 20, 30 years say, I always get a little upset at that question. I always get yeah. a little defensive. We're a defensive field. And that's not just defending our profession. It's defending our whiteness. It's defending what we are now, but we're not trapped in this. We're not stuck in this identity. We can be more. And it requires social interest. It requires work with community. It requires learning from community. It requires the cultural experience, which we are lacking. Mm. Well said. Do you want to dive into anything else before we move into our rapid fire questions? Uh. There was a lot of jumping off points in this conversation. Uh, and I hope the listeners take them and do, do their own personal work. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope so too. And I hope that this just helps me to do my personal work and, and my work with others. And, and I realized that, yeah, I, I realized when I did the post that it puts a spotlight on me. And I realized with doing with agreeing to do this that it also puts a spotlight on me. And it is an extension of that music therapist unite post. But I am comfortable being uncomfortable making myself object for our field as a white male. If I can learn something about myself through it, and if others can learn something about and themselves and our field and our situation then if it's and and by no means do I mean that that your podcast puts me at expense but me agreeing to this puts me at my own expense because I've become like I said an object for for the field to sort of ruminate over and and contemplate well what is this and and many will say like oh this is some white guy you know, tooting his own horn and feeling really proud about some post he made on Facebook and, and others might think, no, a lot of that was really useful. And, and I learned something or I joined a group or I did something. It's all true. I I'm, yeah, of course I'm a white male asshole, right? I like, I'm, I, I am that guy, not consciously, not intentionally. I'm always trying to be better, but I'm also someone who 
generated a discussion and is going to grad school with a focus in mind. It's all, it is all, it's all useful. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the last thing to say about that is that, you know, this, this for me is a way to reflect on that and to continue to try to do that work and do it all and do it completely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for doing it, for putting it out there. I hope others will. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I'll put it out, you know, if you want to have a conversation, but you don't want me to record it and put it on the show, that's fine. Reach out. Anyone can reach out. That's fine. Um, But thank you for, for putting this on record so that um, other people can hear it and think about it. Uh, And even though they haven't engaged directly with everything you've said, they can do it on their own time um, where they're a little more comfortable. All right, let's, let's switch into our rapid fire. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. What's how? What, so, is, do I get like a time limit for each? Oh thing? no. How, how much? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. I ask them to all the guests. This is actually the part portion that people generally seem the most nervous for, but I feel like this will be the easier portion of our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> the first one. Ready? Coffee yeah. or tea? Um. Shoot, that is a hard one. <laughs> Uh, Ask well, the hard questions. Tea, tea. I'll say tea, even though I drink more coffee. I love tea, and I like to make teas from scratch. Good for I'd you. I like to do more of that sometime, but I haven't done that very much lately. Yeah, it's hard to do a lot of those things right now. It's hard to do anything right now. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Good. Something you would tell your younger self? Mm. Um, your uh, uh, invest in Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I had a couple other in there, and I think that's no, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good one. That's that's not a thought I've had, but you're you're totally right. You know, if three years or ten years ago, some of us had done that. Could you imagine? Goodness. All right, get ready to be defensive. Your music therapy elevator speech. Oh, my music. Will you, uh, can we, will you, like, will you ask me the question? Hi, I'm an old lady picking up my grandkid from school. What is music therapy? Or I see it on your shirt or something. Hi, it's, well, it's, it's so nice to meet you. You know, music therapy is a healthcare profession. I'm a healthcare professional and I use music and therapy to help people reach their goals and regain skills and um, see more of themselves, um, uh, develop in in a unique way and um music's a really powerful thing and and it's a cool thing because you know it's something we process all over the brain and it's something that we can use our whole bodies to to feel and engage with and so i use i use music for myself in so many ways and it's great that i can i can share that with people you know i work with people who have had strokes and i help them regain their speech in a really neat way with music and you know we have to it's easy to admit music is a social thing so so we can use that in schools with kids and we can use that also with um older people in dementia care to to regain some sense of connection with others um i'd probably just put the ball back in their court after that they'll ask me oh well yeah oh so when i'm in the nursing home you'll come (laughs) play for me (laughs) and i'll say yes good good answer (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Thank you. 
your favorite self-care practice? Um, I do my own uh, tarot readings every week. Nice. I do my own sort of in, intuitive tarot readings. Uh, and that that's that's a nice ritual to have. What's your favorite tarot card? Uh, death. Yeah, good pick. <laughs> so misunderstood. <laughs> so misunderstood. Death and the, and the fool, which is yeah. so far, just uh, for anyone who is, is tarot inclined listening, um, the fool is the only card that I have not drawn all year. And it's really? the one that I expect so often. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the one yeah. that I'm like waiting for. It's almost like a, a joke on me that it hasn't been pulled. I can't tell you how many times I've drawn the, the tower. Like when I was doing oh a spread God. for 2020, it was like the tower, the next week, the tower, like everywhere, the tower, which is so true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something yeah. that's currently adding value to your life. Um, my partner, Ashley, I, I couldn't, I, would, I couldn't quarantine mm. any other way. Yes. I understand that. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session. Mm. That one's so hard. I'm gonna I'm gonna say you know and and so many know me you know so many who do know me know me as this humanistic guy and this existential guy but I've been doing a lot of really I, I did the NMT training um, and I I'm answering this way because uh, uh, you know I'm seeing a client right now that is making some really great gains in terms of aphasia and speech and I you know melodic intonation therapy is just a really cool thing it's it's immediate. Um, know you see the results right there and you know exactly what's happening in the brain and and that is just a really really cool thing um to be a part of and i'm i'm a part of it right now in a pretty cool way and, and yeah cool that's a good one the last one is where can listeners find you and connect with you um people can find me uh my email my work email is b and then my last name, which is Drozdowski, um, I'm sure will be attached in writing in some way to this, D-R-O-Z-D-O-W-S-K-I at itachicago.org. Um, uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook, just friend, friend me on Facebook. Uh, I'm awful at communicating, generally speaking. And so, like, I think, like, right, Trish, I think you, you've gathered that, too. Like, I can, I I think I'm okay at, like, work email. I do pretty okay at that and, like, professional things. But I'm the guy that, like, you'll text me and I'll craft a response in my head. And that's enough. And then I'll, like, get distracted by something. It's and then realize, like, I didn't ever get back to that person. Why did I not get back to that person? It's all so good. Maybe, Once... maybe if you if you want to connect with me, fate, you might have that experience on Facebook, and I apologize. We won't take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. It's okay. Just oh. hold me accountable to it. You got it. All about accountability today. Thank you so much for having this conversation, for being open, um, for doing the work and putting all that together on that Facebook post because those that's just a great some great starting points for um, people who aren't ready to be part of one of these conversations, but they know they need to do something and need some guidance. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, yeah, thank you. And I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed listening and talking to you about all this. Thanks for making this well. uncomfortable conversation. I don't want to say it was easy, but um, I felt it was useful 
uh, not just talking around it. So thank you for that. And maybe that's the that's the the nugget of it is that through uncomfortability you can you can have you can get something tangible you can get something that you can do. Yeah, well said, well said. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you feel empowered uh, and equipped to take some action steps today, tomorrow, and moving forward so that we can make change within our profession. We can take strides to be better, to do better. Um, So we're not having this conversation again the same way in 5, 10, 15 years so that we are setting the ground to do better, to be better. Um, As always, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. And please consider becoming a patron on Patreon.com or by becoming a patron. You have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. So if there's ever been a guest on the show you really wished you could have asked a question or two, um, this is your opportunity to do that. And you can sign up on Patreon for just a dollar a month. I'm going to put this PSA out there. If anyone thinks that it would be a good idea to have a workshop with um, a diversity personnel at one of our conferences or something, then um, yeah, let's make that happen. <laughs> does anyone anyone want to spearhead that or does anyone have any suggestions for who should we should reach out to to have come to a conference? Because I think that's a great idea. Now's the time to do it. Um, And with things being virtual, it might be more doable than in past uh, because everyone, you know, travel isn't as cumbersome and those kinds of things. Uh, If you or someone you know wants to be on the show, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. And thank you again so much for listening to this week's episode. Let me know what you learned and which of the action step items you plan on using in the nearest future tag me on instagram or on facebook send me a direct message anything i'd love to know um, what inspired you the most from this episode to do with your time and energy right now our quote is when we avoid difficult conversations we trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction Mm -hmm.